0: Wars and rumors of wars. Nancy Pelosi takes a friendly trip to Taiwan, and China decides that they're ready to go to war. The real irony here is that half of the Insta-Twitter conservative Republican pundits who are so entrenched in their political narratives and ideology that they are abandoning all sound reasoning, lamb blasting Pelosi. Now, of course. I don't like Pelosi either. I don't. I don't like Nancy Pelosi. That isn't news. But she's actually onto something here, folks. And it's so crazy that these Republicans, conservatives, are all of a sudden reversing their stance on pretty much everything, quote unquote, American first. And now they're saying, ah, you know, all of our ideas of don't capitulate. uh, We actually should capitulate in our ideas of America first. We shouldn't put America first. We should capitulate. Don't rock the boat. Because anything that opposes Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Party is all of a sudden good. And anything that they do is bad rather than thinking with their heads, even when they would say that, yes, if former President Donald Trump visited Taiwan, that would be a super duper good idea. But because former President Donald Trump didn't do it, it's therefore not a good idea. Well, the lunacy of war the beginning of World War III, we already have Russia being brought into it. And now, wow, we got China being brought into World War III as well as maybe, maybe this really is the uh, brilliant kickoff to the end of the world as we know it. Well, it doesn't stop with the short-sighted conservatives. The Green New Deal or the world will end in 12 minutes cult also suffered a decisive blow of comedic humor and cognitive dissonance at the same time as a new study came out this last week saying that aerosols are actually causing global cooling and that lack of aerosols in the air, lack of air pollution... Pollution is causing global warming. Well, the progressive communist democratic green peace and love or will hate you and commit, commit acts of violence against you in the name of love party are reversing their messaging. And they're taking to the streets, shouting catchy slogans like down with humans, more air pollution and spokesperson for the global green commie party, Greta Thunberg, had a press conference where she quote, where she stated, quote, it is now clear that clean air is white privilege, one that we have internalized for far too long. Green energy is destroying the planet and causing more global warming. Yes, people are healthier because of clean air, but if we don't act now and pollute the air with more aerosols, everyone will die. My childhood has already been stolen from me, From the liberal media who have propped me up as a socialist mouthpiece. And I want to make sure that everyone else's childhood and clean air is taken away from them also, because that is only fair. We need to stop putting people first and begin burning more fossil fuels as it is the clear way, the only way to stop climate change. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. It is August 4th, 2022, episode 293. Welcome back to the show. Uh, It's got hit with the flu, influenza B, uh, the last couple of weeks, and man, still recovering from it. We were all laid out in bed for about a week. Uh, Way worse than the Rona. Way, way, way worse. And it's just my wife and I were talking about how ironic it is that here we are laid out in bed for a week, totally fatigued and exhausted, and yet we're telling people, "But don't worry, it's not the Rona." As if, as if for some reason that matters. But we are back on the horse, healthy again. Alhamdulillah. But as we, we started off in the intro, and as you're probably aware, China is going ballistic that Nancy Pelosi actually decided to visit Taiwan. They, at one point, they went as far as saying, if she visits, we might shoot down her plane. We might shoot down the, the plane of the the, the per, person who is third in line to be president you know if president biden passed and uh, vice president kamala harris passed the speaker of the house nancy pelosi she would become the president of the united states china went as far as saying hey watch out we might we might decide to shoot down your plane if you decide to visit you know no telling what we might do we're china we're just on edge going to do anything watch out well before we get into the Nitty gritty of Pelosi visiting Taiwan and what that means. As I said, it, it, it is so it is so funny to me that these Republican pundits that I've followed for a while are all of a sudden really reversing on all of their policies. And viewpoints, when it comes to China, when it comes to America first, when, when it comes to standing up to China, they, pr- proud, they would pride themselves on saying how, well, Donald Trump at least stood up to China and look at Biden. He's Hunter Biden and Biden. They're taking money from China. How could they be doing this? They're in bed with China. And then here is Pelosi standing up to China. And saying, you know, that's really great that you don't want me to visit Taiwan, but I'm gonna visit anyways. That would be a total Trump move. If Trump was doing this, former president Donald Trump was doing this, the entire Democratic Party would be inflamed. The progressives would be losing their minds at how Trump is starting World War II. Look at him. He's a he's a, a threat to democracy. But because it was nancy pelosi instead of donald trump here are all the conservative pundits who who can't ever bring themselves to the point of agreeing with something that the other side does because they're so entrenched so entrenched in their political narrative that they can't see past the, the the elephant and the donkey. They can't see past the red and the blue. They can't see past their entrenched political lines. Because Nancy Pelosi is doing it, it must be bad. Because Nancy Pelosi is taking a stand against uh, 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 China and unwilling to capitulate to China, it must be bad. No, it, it doesn't work that way. Luckily, not all not all uh, uh, conservatives are so blind. Thank God that people like Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire are actually on the right side of this one as well. So if you are a, a, a liberal progressive listening to this, that if the, even the words Ben Shapiro causes your skin to boil, blood to boil, skin to, I don't know, what's that word? Wrinkle. You know, broken clocks are right twice a day. So uh, you can say, okay, Ben Shapiro's right on this one. Con- there are conservatives who are right on this one in supporting Pelosi and all you Republicans, conservative, uh, I- liberals slash, I guess what it would be, libertarians out there who also think that Pelosi is always wrong. Well, she's broken clock as well, right? Twice a day. So everyone, everyone wins. Everyone loses on this one. I'm just gonna start. I'm gonna leave that rant there. Okay. Before, in order to understand, in order to understand what and why this is such a big deal, and and what it really could mean for the world if China continues to go down this path of uh, exasperating this problem, because they really are making this a bigger deal, and they have their reasons to make it a big deal. They have their reasons of why it would be really great if they could take over Taiwan again for their economy, for their their standing in the world order. So they have they have reasons that make sense to China of why they would want to instigate a conflict here. Because if they can instigate a conflict, America is looking fairly weak on the world stage. They might be able to push the lines and gain some ground here when it comes to their conflict with Taiwan. So a very, very, very brief history lesson on the Taiwan-Chinese-China relation and and how this really goes back many, many decades, which will help us understand where we are today when it comes to Taiwan and the, the geopolitical relationships in regards to Taiwan. So first, Taiwan has traditionally for thousands of years been built up by the Chinese people uh, for thousands of years. Dynasty after dynasty, Taiwan was part of China. Well, China lost Taiwan to Japan in the first Sino-Japanese War, which that was between 1894 and 1895. So 1894, 1895 comes around, there is the first Sino-Japanese War, China loses J- uh, Taiwan to Japan and now is part of Japan. After this, there is a the Chinese revolutionaries overthrow the the Qing the Queen Empire Qing Empire and they establish the ROC. The ROC stands for the Republic of China. This is a governmental party. So the ROC is now established, and that is the ruling party of China in the early 1900s. After this, we have World War II. At the end of World War II in 1945, Japan is forced to surrender Taiwan. In 1945, the ROC, UK, and US jointly issue a postum declaration calling for Japan's unconditional surrender and carrying out of the Cairo Declaration. After World War II, the ROC government representatives accept the surrender of Japanese forces in Taiwan. The executive, the chief executive of Taiwan province, sends a memorandum to the Japanese government general governor general of Taiwan stating that as chief executor of Taiwan province of the ROC, I restore all legal territory, people, administration, political, economic, and cultural facilities and assets of Taiwan. So the ROC, which was the ruling party of mainland China as well, now claims and has been given Taiwan back 1945. Well, Communist takeover of China happens around 1949 after the Chinese Civil War, which then caused a split between a number of islands, including Taiwan and mainland China. So the ROC government, the Republic of China government, loses mainland China and they retreat to Taiwan. And in the meantime, the CCP or the PRC, which is the People's Republic of China, take over Beijing and mainland China. The ROC, they lost the war. They retreat to Taiwan. They say, Taiwan is ours. We are our own independent government. The PRC says, "Uh, no, you're still part of us. So there's this standoff between mainland China and the ROC in Taiwan. This is a crash course in Taiwanese uh, CCP, PRC, ROC history. So the PRC claims Taiwan, but the ROC maintains its independence. Well, the ROC was a representative in the UN until the revolution and until the PRC, the People's Republic of China, took its place. So in 1971, on October 25th, the United Nations General Assembly passes UN Resolution 2758, recognizing the People's Republic of China, the PRC, as the only legitimate representative of China to the global body. And the ROC, therefore, withdraws from the UN. The ROC is saying, if you guys are gonna recognize the the, the People's Republic of China, there is no way that we're gonna be a part of this. And likewise, the PRC says, UN, if you recognize the ROC as a legitimate ruling body, then we can't be part of, of you. Well, because the PRC has the mainland China and a billion people, the UN and the US as well decide to follow suit and 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 make I wouldn't want to say make alliances, but make treaties with and recognize the PRC and therefore pull their embassies from Taiwan. So the CCP is trying to claim, the, the, the People's Republic of China is trying to claim and claiming that there is one China and two governments. So Taiwan, it's all part of China. It's its all part of the same China. This is just a province. Taiwan is a province. It's still part of China. They have their own government, quasi-government, sort of. But really, we should own it. Now, this is pretty much what they said with Hong Kong when the British left Hong Kong. They said, okay, Hong Kong, you can have your democratic government for a while, but it's all part of China. So there's one China. Hong Kong's part of China. You have your own little government. We'll let you have it for a bit. But we saw what happened just over the last couple of years where Hong Kong fell to China and the the Chinese uh, RPC, People's Republic, PRC, or People's Republic of China, took over Hong Kong. Well, the same thing is happening with Taiwan. They're claiming that Taiwan is rightfully theirs and one day will be completely, fully reunited with China. Now, this is what is also seen. And the one-child policy, before we get to the one-child policy, or not one-child policy, one-China policy, excuse me. Too many ones and Chinas and policies. In 1954, the ROC, which is the governmental body in Taiwan, which, remember, they lost the war and they lost mainland China, they, with the U.S., made a mutual defense treaty that was signed in Washington. Washington. And so this was in in 1954. Well, then the one, chi- one the one China policy comes comes to the forefront of the table, which was happening back in 1979 under Jimmy Carter. And what the one po- one China policy states is that the diplomatic the one ch- China policy is. Quote, the diplomatic acknowledgement of China's position that there is only one Chinese government under the policy the U.S. recognizes and has formal formal ties with China rather than the island of Taiwan, which China sees as a breakaway province to be reunified with the mainland one day. This is from the BBC. The one China policy is a key cornerstone in the Sino-U.S. relations. It is the fundamental bedrock of Chinese policymaking and diplomacy. However, it is distinct from the One China principle, whereby China insists Taiwan is an inalienable part of One China to be reunified one day. The U.S. policy is not an endorsement of Beijing's position. And indeed, as part of the policy, Washington re- maintains a quote, robust, unofficial relationship with Taiwan, including, this is important, including continued arms sales to the island so that Taiwan can defend itself. Although Taiwan's government claims it is an independent country's Officially, it is called the Republic of China. And any country that wants diplomatic relationships with mainland China must break off official ties with Taipei, the capital of Taiwan. Now, if you remember back to Haiti and the assassination of the Haitian government or the, the Haitian president, that was quite a mystery. Surrounding that shroud of mystery of what happened there, was the fact that Haiti maintained diplomatic relationships with Taiwan, not China. And so there was a lot of speculation that China might have something to do with it so that they could whittle away on the Caribbean and South American nations to have more of a trade stronghold so that they can expand their global influence, because that is what China is working on doing with the the new Silk Road, with their global trade routes, with investing into ports and, and, and worldwide and trade routes worldwide and trade agreements worldwide, so that they can have more independence from the current world order and become the next world superpower. I, I, it's not... That's not a mystery. That's not a conspiracy. That's quite clear. They are working to have world dominance. Well, with, with this, as the American government began to recognize mainland China, they had to break ties with the ROC in Taiwan, which brings us to 1979 under President Jimmy Carter. At that point, the United States officially formalized diplomatic ties with Beijing. As a result, this is again from the BBC, quote, as a result, the U.S. had to sever ties with Taiwan and close its Taipei embassy. But that same year, it also passed the Taiwan Relations Act, which guarantees support for the island. Crucially, this act states that the U.S. must Help Taiwan defend itself, which is why the U.S. continues to sell arms to Taiwan. The U.S. has also said it insists on the peaceful resolution of differences between the two sides and encourages both sides to pursue constructive dialogue. Now, this is very important because this is where a lot of the confusion comes in. America does not have official diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Rather, it has official diplomatic ties with mainland China. However, at the same time, they recognize, they have the pseudo-recognition of the government in Taiwan, and Taiwan, Taiwan's economy is huge. It is the eighth largest economy in Asia, 18th largest economy in the world. 60% of the world's superconductors and semiconductors are manufactured in Taiwan. The entire globe, more or less, runs on the superconductors from Taiwan. Our our cars, electric cars, our phones, our supercomputers, uh, defense programs, missiles, satellites, it is all Taiwan. 60% from Taiwan. We uh, uh, America and the world has a vested interest in making sure that Taiwan has its own independence because as we've already seen whether it's from TikTok or or, or uh, other hardware components out of China th- it is a system that is built to spy on people worldwide. Again, it's not conspiracy, well documented. So Taiwan is quite a crucial island when it comes to the existing world order. If Taiwan went to China, that would be a massive blow not only to global trade routes but also to uh, global dominance when it comes to technology that now China would fully control that market. So there there is a vested interest in the United States of defending Taiwan, which is one of the reasons we still have this policy where we will sell arms so that Taiwan can defend themselves. But the United States is also very clear in their language to a level of ambiguity uh, ambiguity of saying we are not going to come all the way out and say, hey, if you attack Taiwan, we are going to go to war with you, China, to defend Taiwan, even though we do have that agreement there. well. The one China policy was first instituted in 1972. And again, it says the U.S. acknowledges that the Chinese on either side of the Strait of Taiwan maintain there is but one China and that Taiwan is part of China. So the United States acknowledges this. But Washington simply states that they understand that this is the PRC's claim that Taiwan is its own. In fact, many scholars agree that the U.S.-China, one-China policy is not intended to appease or please the PRC government, but more of a way for Washington to conduct international relationships uh, within the region, which Beijing fails to state. So the argument is that America is trying to play a diplomatic angle here, having relations with the PRC with mainland China while still defending Taiwan's level of autonomy. And they're trying to slice the middle. Whether it works or not, we'll end up seeing. But one thing that is, is happening is that now here we have Pelosi. She decides to go on this South Pacific tour and in that she says well i'm going to visit taiwan makes perfect sense china says if you visit taiwan and you're ex- ex- uh, escorted by us military planes and not chinese military planes we might shoot your plane down now what is she supposed to do in this situation is she supposed to all of a sudden say oh sorry china i didn't realize maybe yeah we'll just capitulate to you rather than visiting people that we do have relationships with we we do have uh, trade with are you gonna, are you just going to capitulate to china as they have continued to provoke uh, provoke taiwan in that area even though america has repeatedly stated that they will continue to defend taiwan so you, you can't show weakness to China. If you show weakness to China, it, it is it is likely to turn out as Ukraine has turned out, is likely to turn out as Afghanistan has turned out. The moment that you begin showing weakness and you're showing that you're capitulating, you're showing that you're not going to actually back the Afghan government or the Afghan military. Remember, America pulled out all air support. America pulled out all contractor support from the Afghan army which totally debilitated the Afghan army from even being able to to operate the way that it had under the US government that sign of weakness encouraged the Taliban to say hey they're not going to do anything we're just going to march in they're they're tucking tail and running that's weakness we this is our time we can seize it now and so if pelosi all of a sudden said okay you're right china we're we're really not going to do anything that's sending a clear message that we are weak and you can take the island. And so she was put in a place where I think she made the right decision. She has to visit. And she did visit. And now China is is firing missiles over the island, did uh, cyber attacks on the the Taiwanese government, uh, doing military, navy, and air force maneuvers around the around taiwan and and really escalating the situation well we have two clips one from uh, uh blinken and and one from the national security biden's national security advisor jay sullivan will play jay sullivan first here he is
1: me uh, so speaker pelosi's decision to go to taiwan was of course a decision she had every right to make and in fact A Speaker of the House has previously traveled to Taiwan without incident, and members of Congress travel to Taiwan all of the time. It doesn't signal a change in U.S. policy. It doesn't threaten China in any way. So for China to turn around and try to turn this into some kind of crisis or use it as a pretext to take aggressive action around Taiwan, that's on China. Now, from the United States' perspective, what we intend to do is indicate to China and to the world. We're not looking to escalate, but we will, of course, continue to assert our right to defend our interests, uh, to support Taiwan's self defense, and to continue to operate as we have have operated in the Western Pacific for decades. That's how we're approaching it. We hope that China will, in fact, take an approach that demonstrates restraint uh, rather than overreaction.
0: I think this is actually a great answer by Jake Sullivan, Biden's national security advisor, which is he's saying, look, this doesn't change any this doesn't signal a change to any policy we've had these relationships with Taiwan for decades now. We have relationships with China with many decades now. This doesn't change anything other diplomats, other congress and, and senators have visited Taiwan and it hasn't elicited this response so why, why, why is this response you're you're making something bigger you're looking for an opportunity to provoke so that you can seem as though you were justified in those actions. Well, here is uh, uh, Blinken on this same topic. This is actually from uh, about a, a year ago.
1: We've seen, and what is a real concern to us, is in increasingly aggressive actions by the government in Beijing uh, directed at Taiwan, uh, raising tensions in the Straits. And we have a commitment uh, to Taiwan under the Taiwan Relations Act. Uh, a bipartisan commitment that's existed for, for many, many years to make sure that Taiwan has the ability to defend itself and to make sure uh, that we're sustaining peace and security in the Western Pacific. Uh, we stand behind uh, those commitments. And all I can tell you is it would be a serious mistake uh, for anyone to try to change the existing status quo by force.
0: Another great answer by Secretary Anthony Blinken from the U.S. State Department. He's been very clear. We, China is provoking. China is wanting to see that shift in the world order. China is in a recession as well. China is in a recession. Their economy is failing. They are looking for opportunity to seize the eighth largest economy in Asia and 18th largest economy in the world and superconductors. That would be a huge win for China. They're looking for opportunities to rally their people around China. So there there is evidence that this is China trying to use this as grounds for provocation, further provocation to be able to get what they want, which is Taiwan, but America should not capitulate the, the if they do it would only signal a quicker deterioration of the current world order and that's not a the, the, again it's not a conspiracy term it's just a fact the the order of the world the, at one point it was the dutch empire at one point it was the french empire at one point it was the british empire and c- currently it's the american empire who definitely is not perfect um and it's debatable on on what the world might be like if China is the one that does come up as the next leader of the world order. There there's arguments that we have made here on the show previously that China might not, that they might actually be facing such a severe population collapse that they won't be able to come into position as the, the next superpower. It might pass over China and it might move to India. Well, all that to say, it's wars, rumors of wars. Russia is already in in a war with Ukraine, saying that America is their greatest threat in this hour as America continues to back Ukraine. And if China pulls itself into a war, and if America decides to defend, and, and Secretary of State Blinken and other conversations has been very clear and saying that we won't necessarily go to war. They're being intentionally ambiguous and in saying we will continue to agree by our agreements or follow our agreements to say we will make sure that Taiwan has every ability to defend themselves. Does that mean that America will go to war for Taiwan? That is not clear, but they are saying that America is de- committed to. Taiwan's self defense.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes sense in a post truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for post irrationality. The absurd finally makes sense. Well, as we hinted at in the intro, the absurd is finally making sense, and cognitive dissonance is rampant uh, among the, the green peace cult. Uh, this study came out uh, a great paradox stating in short that the drop in air pollution has increased global warming because clean air does not contain aerosol particles that reflect sunlight and cool the earth. Current population rates, current pollution rates are 30% lower than in 2000. Great news pollution is going down. However, this has led to an increase of warming from carbon emission scientists. Carbon emission scientists found that there is less haze in the atmosphere to block the sun's radiation. They suggest using solar engineering to launch aerosol particles into the atmosphere in a bid to combat climate change. This is the richest thing. This This just made my day. Here it is. After all this time, fossil fuels aren't causing global warming. They're slowing global warming. Come on, folks. Of course, air pollution is what we need. We need more air pollution. This uh, article published in the Daily Mail states that scientists have found a great paradox in nature clean air is enhancing global warming, while pollution keeps our planet cool. As we said, lower pollution rates in the atmosphere than in 2000, but warming from carbon dioxide emissions have increased by 50%. This study was from Lebspig University, and it says it brings good news for human health, which is that pollution, air pollution, kills millions of people every year or causes millions of illnesses every year, millions of deaths, it says. But pollution is dropping, which is great for humanity. But now here's, here's the deep irony is that scientists are now studying the atmosphere and they found that there's less haze and that less haze has led them to determine unequivocally that the air aerosols, pollutions, actually keep the radiation out. And so now... They are essentially reversing their stance and saying, "Wait a minute, air pollution is good for global cooling." So we are going to try to do experiments to put aerosols into the air to stop global warming and enhance global cooling well the 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 great uh, the dissonance grows even deeper as a nutty another study came out where the UK government advisors acknowledge acknowledges for the first time a link between air pollution and dementia. Air pollution is fueling a rise in dementia. The UK government has acknowledged for the first time. Toxic airborne particles from cars and fossil fuels have long been associated with rapid increasing rates of the disease in the UK. Well, now, what are you going to do here? Here's the the great moral dilemma and conflict Do we save the humans and stop air pollution? I'm not a fan of air pollution. I hate air pollution. I like living in places where I'm not jam-packed in a city breathing in smoke all the time. Hazy cities. Don't like it. Not a fan. So what are we going to do? Are we going to make sure that we have cleaner air? Which is why we're I'm a fan of nuclear energy and a fan of clean coal, which burns clean, pollutes the atmosphere less than anything else. And so, so, should we do that? Should we continue to push for clean air and help humans help help lower dementia rates because we're dealing with air pollution? But at the same time, we know that by making the atmosphere cleaner, we're actually hurting the earth. We're actually destroying mother nature. We're actually causing global warming by cleaning the atmosphere. Oh, the conflict, the moral dilemma, maybe the right thing would be to say, you know what? Humans are the plague. Humans are the virus. And if some humans have to die because of air pollution, then so be it. You know, we should just pollute the atmosphere even more because global warming, because climate change. And uh, yeah, we, we should just continue to pollute the atmosphere so that we can stop climate change. Therefore, fossil fuels are good. It's just, it's the, the deep cognitive dissonance here, I think is just classic, classic. And ironic. And and more than that, it I think, and again, we've talked about this so many times. I think it shows that the climate is always changing. And it's not apparent. It is not clear that what we are experiencing right now when it comes to the changing of the climate, which has been changing for thousands and thousands of years, it is not apparent by many studies, by many standards, by many metrics. It is not apparent that this is man-made climate change. Now, is there plastics in the ocean that people shouldn't throw plastics in the ocean and they should clean it up? Yes. Is there a, a, an enormous amount of air pollutants that we can easily avoid from putting into the air that's destroying our ozone? Yes. Stop that ridiculous nonsense. Yes. But should we go so far to to limit humanity, try to... Limit population growth, even though we're we're facing on a global level population collapse, which will do far far worse for society than and, and humanity and the earth than anyone can really anticipate what what it will mean for even conserving and conservatism uh, as far as uh, helping uh, endangered species. Humans are fighting to save the planet to help endangered species to conserve forests and land areas and population collapse uh, leads to economic collapse, which actually leads to people abusing the environment more because they are fighting for survival. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you for listening to the show. This is a value for value podcast, which means we do not Play ads on the show. Rather, it is supported by listeners like you. So I wanted to thank everyone who supports the show on a daily, monthly, and yearly basis. Without you, the show would not be possible. If you want to give value back to the show and the value which you have received, you can do so by visiting lucascrobot.com support. And you can give your hard cold fiat there or If you are more of the digital cryptocurrency Bitcoin type, you can listen to the show on Breeze, Sphinx, PodFriend, and you can load up Satoshis on your Bitcoin wallet and you can stream Satoshis as you listen. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Luma, part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. This last couple of weeks, as I've been laid out in bed sick, I've been thinking about success and thinking about success stories and thinking about the way that we visualize or the narratives that we tell of how our path to success can look. And I've been listening to and reading different stories of people's journey and the different stages that they go through of success. And oftentimes we think that it is a straight line. Now, that, that's nothing new. That's just kind of like a duh thing. Success isn't always a straight line, it's not just straight up. We have our ups and our downs, but there are different seasons and different phases of success. And we're not going to break down all of them on this short segment, but there are a few things that I've been thinking about as individuals are raised up into their callings, into the the, the God given original design that they have. And there's different phases, there's different seasons, but one of those is praise, that when we first get put into positions and we feel like we're on our way we're on our way we're getting that moment of 15 minutes of fame we're like this is it and all of a sudden we start receiving praise that praise of man the accolades of people around us we think we we can fall into the trap maybe not we think but we can fall into the trap of thinking this is it i've made it it is only up from here It is only mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop from here. But it's praise that tests our heart. That when we are receiving praise from people, when we're receiving the accolades and the the awe of those around us, that is actually a test from God of who we are. What is really in our hearts. Praise is the test of man and woman. Mankind, man. It tests to say, are you going to get prideful when everyone around you is saying, yes, yes, yes. Are you going to grow in your pride, grow in your heart to thinking that you can do no wrong? And likewise, in, as we grow in leadership, as we grow in influence, we, we think that, man, being a leader is so great. I'd have influence, I'd have open doors, I'd have relationships, I'd have power, I'd be able to change things, I'd be able to help people, I would be known, I would be famous, I would be loved. But what we don't realize often, <coughs> excuse me, on, a, on that road, that as we grow in influence and leadership, the primary thing that we are growing in is criticism. We will face criticism at every turn you're doing this wrong. You're doing this too wrong, too right. You, you should have done, done this. You shouldn't have you've done it that way. Why aren't you doing this? Hey, when you said this the other day, uh, really came across the wrong way. When we grow in leadership, the primary thing that we are growing in is criticism. The primary thing that we are going to receive is criticism. And criticism and praise tests us in the same way. If we spiral and crash when we receive criticism from people and we let it get to our heads and let it get to our hearts, that that signals that the same way that we will receive praise is the same way that we will receive criticism, the same way that we will respond to praise and I'm the best, everything's up from here, is the same way we will respond when we receive criticism, which is I should quit. This isn't worth it. It's not worth the pain. It's not worth the pressure. It's not worth the conflict. It's not worth the hardship. I should give up. So that's one point that I I want to bring to our attention to be wary of. How are we responding as we grow in praise and as we grow in criticism? What is our heart response? Are we responding to the people that we're leading or people that we're not even leading that just like to criticize us? Are we responding with the right heart response because our hearts are being tested? Are we responding with gentleness, compassion, mercy, understanding, patience, gentleness, kindness? Is that a response to criticism or are we seeking to shut down and silence any voice that criticizes us, any voice that would come against us, that we're willing to use manipulation and intimidation against those who are criticizing our leadership, criticizing our influence, criticizing our open doors? Are we mocking our opponents? Or are we doing our best to treat them in the way that we want to be treated? The, the, the second point that I want to focus on in this segment, is that many times we will, and when when I say many times, I mean many seasons in life will be like this. We will hit moments where we're like, this is this is it. This, this up from here, I'm just gonna grow and open doors and influence, but we don't realize it's just a moment, a moment of 15 minutes of fame, a moment of that recognition. And then we fall back down into obscurity. We fall back down into places where. We go from the prominence of of palaces and leadership and influence with people around us to the caves of of despondency and despair and being forgotten, being abandoned, being rejected. And those seasons of isolation, those seasons of obscurity are just as important in the growing of our character, so that we can actually step into the fullness of what we are supposed to do later on in life. Those seasons of the caves, those seasons of trials and hardships and being chased, those are just as important, if not more important than the seasons of prominence. Because it's in those seasons that we learn to trust God in the midst of Trials and tribulations, that we learn to be steady in the midst of storms, that we learn to lead people who are hard to lead. We learn to overcome challenges and hardships when there's not a a reward around the corner, when there's not a ton of support. How we carry our hearts in the midst of obscurity is more important than how we carry our hearts in the midst of prominence. And the reason why I say it's more important is because it's in the times of obscurity that our hearts are being tested, being forged. Like like gold or silver in a furnace, our hearts are being forged and purified for a future season. But many people, they hit that that wind, that high of the first level of prominence, they think it's only up from here I can see, I can see the path. Finally, I can see the path of how I will reach my life calling and goals and influence. It's there. It's it's just a few more steps and I'll get there. And then boom, we fall into the obscurity and we think that it's all over. We think that our, our season's done. We missed it. I, I'm confused. I don't know what happened. And we check out and we give up and we say, you know what? Forget about Helping others, forget about changing the world, forget about leading others. It's too much work, it's too hard. People, they're not grateful, they don't have gratitude for everything I've given. I'm going to live for me, I'm going to give up and live for me. You know what? I'm just gonna lean back a bit. It's in those seasons where we must not give up and we must realize that it's those seasons of obscurity (coughs) that are preparing us ultimately. For the things that we are called to later in our lives, the fullness of what we are called to. But if we give up in those seasons, if we check out in those seasons, which are seasons of testing, we will then miss the door to step into our calling. We will then miss the door to step into our purpose. We will then miss the moment because we decided to just live for ourselves. It's a test. It's a test. So I hope that this week, Whatever season you're in, whether you're in a season of praise or a season of criticism, whether you're in a season of living in, in, in prosperity and a season of living in favor and influence and open doors, or you're in a season of running from cave to cave, battling, trying to survive, remember that you are being tested for assignments, purposes, and callings of future seasons. Don't give up, don't check out, don't just live for yourself but realize that our purpose purpose in life is first and foremost to serve others first and foremost it's to serve god but second it's to serve others and third you then get to benefit from it as well well that's all for today's episode if you have any questions feel free to whatsapp me at plus +12029220220 or you can visit the website and Leave a question there. Voice notes, you can leave right there. And if you ask a bad enough question, we'll play it right here on the show. Thanks for listening. Go out this week and own your future.